Well, good evening. Okay, let's try that again. We need coffee? And if if so, I volunteer. I accept it. If you bring some, I'll take some. So, go ahead. Good evening. It's good to see each of you tonight. Glad to be able to be with you. Always a joy to be able to come to Midway. A uh, number of people in the audience I've known practically all of my life. Many others I've known for many, many years of my life. And you're near and dear to me. And so thankful to be able to kind of renew some acquaintances, see some of you that I don't get to see on a regular basis. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Grateful that my family is able to be with me. They don't always get to travel uh, with me when we speak in various places, but most of the time they do. And I'm always glad to have them. They're the better part of me by far. Uh, I tell everybody their job security. Uh, most places don't care about having me. They just rather have my wife and kids. And I'm okay with that. You know, if that's the way we want it, I, I can live with that. Genesis chapter 42 is where we're going to take our study tonight. Genesis chapter 42. Probably uh, we want to set the background a little bit about what's going on here in Genesis chapter 42. So a reminder to us that Joseph's brothers, because of jealousy and Joseph himself being a youngster, he didn't know how to handle the fact that uh, his father kind of doted on he and his younger brother Benjamin. And he took that and kind of ran with it. And perhaps he had gotten on his brother's nerves just a little bit throughout the course of years, but he kept pushing that idea maybe about his father and being favored of him. And it finally got to a fevered pitch when Joseph was approximately 17 years of age while they were tending uh, their father's flocks and herds on out in the wilderness. The brothers devised a plan to kill Joseph. And that was really their intention, to kill him and then to report to their father Jacob that he'd been uh, killed by wild animals. But Reuben prevailed, if you'll remember. The elder brother of the bunch prevailed and said, No, we can't kill him. And so they instead decided they would sell him to some Ishmaelite traders who were on their way to Egypt. And there began the journey of Joseph at a very young age into the land of Egypt. You remember what all happened in that time. Joseph is sold into slavery into Potiphar's house. And there, after a number of years, he was accused of things that he had not done by Potiphar's wife and thrown into jail. And he finds himself in prison there for probably two or three more years following the time in Potiphar's house. But it's during that time in prison that Joseph, that Pharaoh, remember, had some dreams and couldn't figure out what they meant. And Joseph interpreted those dreams... And because of that, he, he rose to power in the land of Egypt. Fast forward now. We're, we're fast forwarding probably around 22 years or so. So Joseph's probably around 39, 40 years of age at this point. When a great famine at about 37 years of age, thereabouts, that famine would have hit. We're into the second year of that famine probably by this point. Genesis 42. Now, word starts to spread into the land of Canaan 
that Egypt had a surplus of grain, thanks to Joseph, by the way, they didn't know it was Joseph, but thanks to Joseph interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh, that they were going to enjoy seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, Pharaoh had seen to it that Joseph made preparations for that upcoming famine. And they had stored up grain. And now as this famine is beginning to grip the entire world, word is starting to spread that they have grain in Egypt. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 42. So when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? Other translations say something like, why do you stand staring at each other? Why are you just standing here when we have just gotten word that there is grain to be found in Egypt? Food that can sustain us. The text seems to indicate that it had gotten fairly severe even in Canaan. And that this famine now was really beginning to grip a large portion of the known world at that time in that area. And people were becoming desperate. And there is some sense in the words of Jacob of anger, of frustration, disappointment, any number of things, because his sons were just looking at each other as if to say, what are we supposed to do? Why are you looking at me? Why aren't you doing something about this? I think there are some valuable lessons we can kind of take from even the words of Jacob. It may sound a little bit humorous. Why do you stand looking at one another? All right, my kids play this game when they were smaller. You know, the quit looking at me. Mom, he's looking at me. You're looking at me. Quit looking at me. You know that thing? And I don't know if they've quite outgrown it yet. They still want to do it sometimes. Y'all remember back to those days when you had children, grandchildren? Mom, he's looking at me. Quit looking at me. Uh, Maybe that's kind of our thought when we read these words. Why are you staring at each other? Why aren't you doing something? I think we need to understand the seriousness of the situation in order to appreciate the words of Jacob. Uh, Here, the region of Canaan and Jacob and his family were in a a, a severe famine. Uh, There was a lot of distress. These were trying times. Now, understand this. Trying times will find all of us. We're going to experience difficult times in life. We're going to face those. Look, uh, I've often heard that there are only two realities in life. And what are they? Death and taxes, right? Only two realities. But there's a third we can throw in there. You will experience trials in your lifetime. You will experience trials. Listen. James chapter 1 and verse 2. James said... My brethren, count it all joy, what? When you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, right? Jesus, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, said, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
Him will I liken unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Then what? And the rains descended. And the winds blew. Do you hear that? And. Not if, but they're coming, right? Trials of life are inevitable. Now, I pray for your sake that the trials that you experience in life are mild. That they're very short in duration. Uh, that the time between these trials is, is very long in between. I pray that happens for your sake. Uh, I pray that those trials are not, not severe. But the reality is, you're going to have to face troubles in life, aren't you? Many of you sitting here tonight can attest to that fact. You've probably been through some of these trials. You've faced some terrible difficulties in your life. Or you're in the midst of facing them right now. What are we going to do when those circumstances of life come upon us? I hope we don't respond like the sons of Jacob and just stand around looking at one another. Now, what might have caused that kind of reaction? I think that's important for us to understand because if maybe some of these things caused them to just stand there looking around, maybe it does the same for us. Maybe we find ourselves in the midst of trials acting in a very similar way because of some of these things. Now, let's think about some of those together. Perhaps they were just looking at one another because there was a sense of guilt and shame in those sons of Jacob. Now, mind you, a long period of time has passed since they sold their brother into slavery. But maybe hearing the words, there is grain in Egypt, brought back some thoughts they didn't want to think about. I think they knew when they sold Joseph that those Ishmaelites were headed to Egypt. And so the likelihood is they knew that Joseph was probably going to find himself in slavery in Egypt at some point. I think they knew that. And maybe they just didn't even want to think about this idea of Egypt at all. I don't want to even bring that up. I don't want to contemplate Egypt any longer. I don't want to think about that. Because to think about it brings back some memories of something we did that we should not have done. We sold our own brother. We sold him as a slave. And then we lied to our own father, bringing back that coat of many colors dipped in blood as if a wild animal had had shredded Joseph and killed him. And now Jacob has labored under the impression for now 22 years that what? Jacob's labored under the impression that Joseph's dead. That, that, that Joseph is gone. And maybe for 22 years they've had to live with this idea that Joseph might not be dead at all. Joseph may very well be alive and he's a slave in Egypt. And so to hear these words from their father, why are you standing here looking at one another? There's grain in, in Egypt and we need to do something about that. Maybe that conjured up some, some shame and, and guilt and dread on their part. 
can trials maybe affect us in a similar fashion? Maybe we find ourselves in the midst of terrible circumstances. And listen, where might these trials come from that we experience in life? Maybe we experience trials in life because of some of our own poor choices, right? Because we made some terrible decisions ourselves. But there are trials that you experience in life that are really through no fault of your own. Maybe terrible decisions of other people caused you to experience trials in life. Or maybe you just experienced some of those things through just being a part of, of this world. Just living in this world has its own share of trials and tribulations sometimes. But maybe in the midst of trials, in, in, in the midst of terrible circumstances in life, we find ourselves kind of frozen not doing anything and kind of looking at one another because we're ashamed or because we're afraid or because maybe we feel guilty about something. Trials have a way of revealing our real character. And I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 5. I love this context because Paul is talking about the benefit, actually, of facing trials in life. Romans chapter 5. Beginning there in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also glory in tribulations or trials. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I like Paul. I don't know about y'all. Y'all like Paul? I really love studying about Paul and reading about his life. But there are sometimes you're reading Paul and you're thinking to yourself, Paul, are you okay? Because... How many of us like to rejoice in trials? Now, that doesn't sound right, does it? That doesn't sound right. Uh, trials, rejoice. What do you mean? Well, Paul is trying to get us to see the good that can come out of those trials. And there are good things that can come out of facing difficulties in life. He said, not only this, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations work... Patience, King James, or New King James. That word would better be translated endurance. Tribulations build endurance. We have a number of coaches in this room. And you work your players and you have them to practice and go through so many things over and over again. You, you make them run till their tongues drag the ground. Why? You want to build endurance for game time, right? You, you want to get them in shape so that when they face the real test, that they're, they're ready, they're equipped to handle it, right? Endurance. I, I played soccer in high school, and I know you can tell that by looking at me now, right? Uh, yeah, don't laugh. Uh, I played soccer in high school, and, and I kid you not, I played for three years. I played almost every minute of every game. 
And the average soccer player, you run about seven miles in a, in a game. That's, that's kind of the average. So you run about seven miles. The first 15 minutes of every game, I honestly thought I was going to die. My side would hurt so bad. And I felt like at any moment, my side is just going to split open and all of my inner organs are going to come gushing out. And I thought, this will be the end of me. But after just pushing through it, pushing through it, after 15 minutes, you know what I could do? I could play the whole hour and a half and it, did not, it didn't bother me. I could have gone another hour beyond that because we had built endurance. But boy, it hurt for a little while. It hurt to get to that point. Trials in life can build endurance, spiritual endurance. How does that work? Well, there may be a lot of pain involved in those trials, but as we make it through one and the next one comes our way, we can look and say, hey, God brought me through that one. Watch Him bring me through this one. It builds more endurance. I can face up to it, but I love this. Now, and patience or endurance, King James says experience. That word experience probably better translated as character. And endurance builds character. You want to know what a person is really made of? Put them in the midst of terrible circumstances. You want to know what your faith is really made of? Your faith is not revealed in the good times, when things are going well, when things are easy. That, that doesn't reveal our faith, really. Our faith is revealed in the difficult moments in life. Our faith is revealed when we are tested. Sometimes trials have a way of revealing things to us that we may not want to see, but we need to see. Maybe the trial that was gripping Jacob and his family was starting to reveal some things to the sons of Jacob that they didn't really want to see, but they needed to see. I think sometimes trials have a way of causing us to look at one another, stare at one another and do nothing because we're, we're, we're gripped with shame and, and fear and burdened with guilt. So, instead of doing something, we find ourselves what? Doing nothing. That's what fear does, right? Fear has a way of gripping us to a point that we do nothing. I'll never forget, I was a young fella. I was probably six or seven years old. Dad had taken us out into the country on some old dirt roads. And we were just having a blast all day long, way out in the middle of nowhere, no cars. And dirt roads. And Dad was just letting us ride our bikes everywhere. And I'll never forget, we're getting close to dusky dark, you know, and it's time to come back, and I'm a good ways off. I'm on the top of this hill, and I'm ready to just let it fly, you know, and head down that hill up the other side and, and go back, and we're going to be leaving. But as I'm looking down that hill, I see something in the road. And it's kind of dark, and it's long and narrow. And boy, I thought, there's a snake in the road. 
and it's between me and where I've got to go. I'm six years old pedaling this bicycle and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I, I was frozen for a while. I didn't know what to do. I thought, it's still there. I can't go anywhere. And finally, I worked up enough courage. Finally, it took forever. I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start pedaling that bike down that hill just as fast as I can. When I get close, I'm going to pull my feet real high up and just run over it and keep going, right? And so I did, but when I ran over it, it was a piece of wood, not a snake. But it had gripped me with fear. And here's the reality spiritually of what fear often does to us. It causes us to do nothing. Matthew chapter 25 in the parable of the judgment scene that the Lord gave the talents. You remember to one he gave five, to another two, to another one. And he said, I'm going to return and then I'm going to ask for them back. See what you've done with them. Five talent man, he had doubled his. Two talent man had doubled his. But the one talent man, remember he had not done anything with it. And do you remember the reasoning? The master began to question him. Why did you just take this talent and hide it in the earth? You could have at least put it in the bank and let it earn interest. Why? Do you remember the response? I was afraid. I was afraid and because I was afraid, I did nothing. And because he did nothing, he was condemned. Revelation 21 and verse 8 is a catalog of sins for which the Bible says man will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And in that catalog of sins are a lot of things we would expect, right? Murderers, idolaters, fornicators, boy, you talk about, it's the, it's the list of bad stuff, right? Do you remember the very first one mentioned in that list? The very first sin for which man will be cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, but the fearful. Because we're afraid. We're, a lot of times we're gripped by fear by guilt and by shame, and we do nothing. Maybe that's what the sons of Jacob were experiencing. And maybe they were standing around looking at each other and not doing anything because of that overwhelming sense of guilt and, and shame and fear. I don't know. Well, maybe it was just a look of being unprepared. A look of being unprepared... Maybe the sons of Jacob were standing around looking at each other because they were thinking, what do we do? And Jacob, their much older father, was the one who had to reason this out and say, look, why are you standing here looking at each other? What is the point of the question? You know, there are a lot of questions in the Bible. A lot of questions asked that really do not have to be answered. Because to ask the question is to answer it in so many ways, right? There are a lot of questions I pose to my kids that don't really have to be answered, okay? When I say to one of my kids, what were you thinking? It's not a question they really have to answer because the point is, you weren't thinking. 
You need to rethink this. There are a lot of questions in Scripture. When Jacob asked his sons, why are you standing here looking at one another? It's not really a question for information, right? It's a question for motivation. To, to get moving. You need to act on this because we're in the grip of a famine and we need to find food to stave off starvation. We've got to do something, but you're standing here doing nothing. And maybe they were looking at each other because they simply weren't prepared. Now listen, the words of Jacob in, in Genesis 42 are this. I've heard from other people that there's grain in Egypt. I wonder where he got word from them that there was grain in Egypt. You think some of them maybe had already been there and gotten grain? I have a feeling that was the case. Other people had acted. They were motivated enough to go seek it out and they found it. And now word's getting back. Hey, uh, these people came back with grain from Egypt. We need to go. When is the best time to prepare yourself for trials in life? When's the best time to prepare yourself? If you know that difficulties will happen in your life, but we don't know exactly when they're going to happen, and we don't know exactly what form those trials are going to take, when is the best time to prepare for trials? Before they happen. There's a reason that fire departments practice drills all the time, right? There's a reason that police departments practice drills. There's a reason that schools now practice these active shooter drills, right? Why do you go through those sorts of things? So that if and when it does happen... You're prepared for it. Listen, we live in Tornado Alley. I cannot tell you, I haven't grown up around here. I don't know how many tornadoes I've seen or been close to in my lifetime. And those of you who are older have probably seen a good bit more than I have. We see a lot of tornadoes. Is the best time to prepare for a tornado when you're hit by one? Now that's a bad time to get prepared for one, isn't it? When you're gripped by one, what are we going to do in the, in the face of, of oncoming trials? We prepare ourselves as best we can. How do we prepare? What are we talking about in life? How do I know what, what form my trials are going to take? What if I face a family issue? Or, or what if we face financial problems? Or, or what if we face a health problem? Those are completely different preparations, right? Those are completely different things. So how, do, how can we possibly be prepared for that? We cannot be prepared for everything in every form. But I can prepare myself for my response to those trials. I can prepare myself no matter what form the trial may take. I can go ahead and formulate my attitude toward those trials now. Listen. When trials hit, you've got one of two options. One of two options. You can either be made better by it, or you can be made bitter by it. That's your choice. 
I'll be made better by it or I'll be made bitter by it. What do you choose? I want to formulate that response now. And I want to say to myself that when trials do come, I pray, I pray with all of my might that I'm going to be made better because of it and not bitter. I'm going to allow this to draw me closer to my God and not drive me further away from Him. I want to seek opportunity. I want to be prepared so that when these trials do come, I can say something like Paul said, we count it all joy. Like James said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I tell you what, just looking at it from the human perspective and thinking about going, facing some difficulty in life, that does not make sense. But you want to know why Paul could say we have joy in tribulation? Because he was prepared. He was ready. He said, look, if trials come, I'm prepared for it. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know exactly how I'm going to respond. I know how I'm going to respond to those. Maybe Joseph's brothers were simply not prepared for this trial and for this news that there would be grain in Egypt. What time's what time's the bell ring? Woo! I knew I would do this. I get wound up. Sorry, we got to move on. Maybe Joseph's brothers looked at each other simply because they thought somebody else should do this. Okay, listen. We live in the midst of a society that has groomed us just like this. Maybe when this came up, they were looking at each other and saying, Look, I'm the older brother. I've been working a lot longer than you have. I've got a family to take care of. One of you needs to do this. We live in the midst of a society where we are quick to take credit for something, but also equally quick to assign blame. What happens in the midst of trials sometimes? We look around at each other and say... Somebody else needs to be doing this, right? This, this is somebody else's job, not mine. Uh, maybe it's time for someone else to take care of this. Uh, listen, we, we deal with this at home sometimes. If you have kids, and I'm not putting my kids necessarily, I'm not throwing them under the bus because they're kids. They're like anybody else's kids. But sometimes I'll say, hey, will you pick that up? And you know what the response usually is? I didn't do that. That's not what I asked. I didn't say who made this mess and whoever made it didn't come clean it up. I just say, hey, you need to clean this up. I didn't. Sometimes we run into messes. And our response is what? I didn't do this. Somebody else needs to clean it up. I didn't create the problem. Someone else needs to handle this. And this is not my doing. It's someone else. Listen. Disciples of Jesus have always had a problem with this. John chapter 13, the disciples enter into the upper room with Jesus shortly before He's going to go to the cross. And as they come into that upper room that had been rented out, remember, no servants there? They enter in and they begin to look around. Because typically when you entered into a home back then, you know what they did? They washed your feet, they anointed your head with oil, they kissed you. That was just customary. 
There were no servants to do that. So they're looking at each other. And what are they, what are they probably thinking? This ain't my job. I'm not washing anybody's feet. That's somebody else's responsibility, right? Not mine. And without a word, what did Jesus do? He just knelt down, took the basin of water and the towel and began to wash their feet. Why? Because it needed to be done. And He was teaching them a lesson in humility. Humility says, I'm going to do what needs to be done, period, right? I'm going to do what needs to be done because it needs to be done. Instead of trying to pass it on, John chapter 21, Jesus meets with the disciples after His resurrection and they're walking along the shores of Galilee and He begins to have a conversation with Peter and He's telling Peter a lot of things about Peter's life and about his death. And as He's talking to Peter about that, remember what Peter does? He looks over and he sees John and he says, Jesus, you're telling me all this stuff about me, but what about Him? And Jesus in essence said, what's that to you? What if he tarries till I come? What if he doesn't die? The manner of death, you're going to die. That doesn't matter. I'm talking to you about you. Sometimes in the midst of trials, within the congregation, within our own lives, we look around at each other because we simply want to pass it off. One final thought. Maybe the brothers of of Jacob, uh, brothers of Joseph, sons of Jacob, looked at each other because they simply didn't care enough. Now, I, I know maybe, maybe we're saying, wait a minute, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Isn't it kind of harsh to say that the sons of Jacob just didn't care and so that's why they're just standing around looking at each other? And, uh, don't you know they probably cared a great deal for their father? And Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But what do our actions sometimes say? Our actions sometimes betray what we claim, Right? What happens in the midst of trials sometimes? We find ourselves looking around at each other and maybe maybe we're not motivated to act on it because we just don't care enough. But wait, wait, I love the church. I love Jesus. I know what we say. I know what we think. But what do our actions sometimes say? Might our actions betray us? Might our actions actually reveal, or lack of action in this regard, might that inactivity reveal that maybe we don't care as much as we think we do? I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but listen, when we're talking about a question like this, it's not time for us to look around us at everybody else and think, that's right, you need to hear this. That's right. I need to hear this because maybe I've been guilty of looking around far too long and not doing what needs to be done. It's not for someone else. It's for me. What am I doing? Trials are going to happen. Better be ready for them. Let's make certain that we're prepared for those difficulties that may come our way And let's do what we can to lift up the kingdom of our Lord and the cause of Jesus Christ in every way. Thank you for your kind attention.